0: Hello and welcome to the Wheel Life. I'm Dave, and this week we are talking about throwing hands, pugilism, fisticuffs, the sweet science, and it has been made all the sweeter. We are talking about adaptive boxing. Yes, two guys and gals in chairs slugging it out, trying to see who's the best. And uh, now I can understand why, on the surface, that may sound like a bad idea. But as always, there is more to the story. And I spoke with Greg Lawrence from the Mad Cats Boxing Club about some of the finer points of the seated sweet science. Uh, Before we get into that, though, uh, since I talked about the Paralympics on the last episode, I thought it might be a good idea. Kind of go over the medal count, see where we're at. Uh, So we're at day five. Uh, The People's Republic of China is absolutely killing it. They got 46 golds. Uh, Hundred medals overall. That is a lot of medals for just day five. I don't know how that compares with the regular Olympics, um, uh, but that's a lot of medals flying around. Uh, Great Britain is in at second. They have like 20 golds, 60 medals overall, and then rounding out the top 10, you've got the United States at third. Uh, RPC, I assume that's Russia at fourth. Ukraine, Brazil, Azerbaijan. That's just fun to say. You got Australia at eighth spot. Everyone loves Australia. Italy and the Netherlands is in 10th. Uh, Canada is way down at 31st, that's out of 62 countries. Uh, I mean, there's still, it's early days, you know what I mean, there's lots of time left. I think if the guys and gals can just chug a little syrup, maybe find like a good solid poutine, uh, which in Japan is going to be very difficult because I imagine a Japanese poutine is probably like fries, miso gravy, octopus chunks and like seaweed instead of cheese curds, uh, which is not good and that's not going to motivate you for an event. Uh, They're going to have to find a way to rally, but I have confidence that they will speaking of weird poutine however though uh, that got me to thinking about some of the weirdest poutines i've ever seen and i thought i'd put together another top five and here we go with the top five weirdest poutines okay so here we go with the top five i don't know if to call them like weirdest craziest poutines Uh, They're kind of all just gross to me, at least. There might be some people out there that like to eat them, uh, but these aren't made up. These are all like legit being sold in restaurants or food trucks. And there are some monstrosities out there running around eating these things. (laughs) No offense to anyone who may like these or may actively eat them. But to me, they just seem gross. So here we go with number five. I'm going to go with the lobster poutine. Uh, This is out of my hometown of Ottawa. Um, uh, It's at Pelican Seafood Market and Grill. Uh, so, I mean, this was one of those that, like, people who like seafood, they might be like, what are you talking about? I don't like seafood. When I think about lobsters, I think about, like, bottom-feeding sea insects, which is fucking gross to me. Um, and so you put, this thing is French fries. You know, it's going to be a recurring theme, obviously. Um, uh, you got your curds and stuff, but you you cut a lobster in half, sorry, and then put the fries in that with curds, and they have a lobster bisque they pour on top of it. To me, that sounds, uh, just sounds really, really gross. Some of you may like it. You might think I'm crazy, Um, uh, but that's just how this one breaks down. It's my show, so it's my fucking gross poutine. Uh, That was number five. So, number four, we are going to go to the famous, I don't know if it's famous, but it's Paul's Patats in uh, Montreal, Quebec. And now this is a poutine that is French fries with soft serve ice cream, chocolate wafer sticks, Cracker Jack popcorn and caramel sauce. Um, uh, this might be another one where there's probably some people out there listening that have a sweet tooth. They're like, oh, you know, that sounds appealing to me. That sounds like some leprechaun shit. Because I'm pretty sure <laughs> leprechauns would probably only eat sugar. And I just I can't get into that. That just sounds like an absolute nightmare. And it's a hard pass for this guy. And we're going to move it on to number three. Um, this one's actually more from my own experience. And you can't really can't really blame the establishment for this one because it's kind of a monster of my own making. Um, uh, so this was, you know, I used to live uh, downtown in Ottawa uh, with a buddy and right on our way home from all the bars and stuff was a Mr. Mozzarella, which for the record makes a great pizza. Uh, it's probably still there. I don't know for sure, but it probably is anyway. So one day we were coming back, I got like two big slices of the poutine pizza, which is like pizza dough gravy instead of pizza sauce and then fries and then like uh, normal mozzarella cheese on it or whatever. So it's super good, especially if you're drunk. Ate one slice. Made it home. I happened to have a old Tim Hortons chili that was in the fridge and I had this genius idea to like supersize my last slice of Putin pizza. So I threw that whole Tim Hortons chili on there. It was cold. I don't know if I microwaved it or not. I don't know. But I ate all of that and then felt incredible for like 10 minutes and then puked like disgustingly for the next 15. So I would not recommend it. It was disgusting. And that was number three. So number two, um, uh, we're going to talk about Jones's Soda's Poutine Flavor Soda. So this isn't a poutine itself, but it kind of fits in the category. It is like it sounds a poutine flavored drink. Uh, This is a Seattle based company. So right away, I'm thinking not like known as a Mecca for poutine. I got nothing at Seattle. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't know if they have great poutine. You know what I'm saying? Um, uh, I tried to find some of this stuff. I couldn't, so I don't, I, I can't really decide if it's good or bad. Like, I don't know if I want to drink poutine. Um, a little bit of a, like, could be a fizzy nightmare in a bottle or it could be kind of good. I'm leaning more towards fizzy nightmare in a bottle. Um, uh, so it made it to number two, but it was not the number one worst poutine. Um, because this place is the number one worst poutine. It's in North York, Toronto. Uh, granted, I didn't try this. Um, so, you know, it's hard to just label them with the worst poutine, but I'm going to just do it because they'll probably never hear this. It's the tie dye poutine. Uh, it's at the Enchanted Poutine is the name of the place. Nice name I'm probably, you know, probably looks really cool. But so this is like a generally normal poutine, except for the gravy is blue and pink. So when it's poured over these perfectly good French fries, um, it turns into this like pool of bluish pink kind of like muck which just makes me think of clown puke or something like as if like all all the clown boys piled into the car had a night and then they all puked on a bowl of french fries i'm pretty sure that's what it looked like um i just i cannot dig it obviously it's a visual thing maybe it tastes great but it literally looks like clown puke so it made the number one worst poutine that i could find that is actively really being sold so sorry to all the places that i labeled as having a bad poutine um, uh, but I think you kind of have a bad routine. um, So that's it. Top five worst boutins. Back to the studio. So that was my top five worst uh, slash weirdest putins. Uh, If you disagree with my list, maybe you have some additions of your own. You can DM me on Instagram at the dot wheel life, or if you'd like, I'm gonna post up a picture of some of these Putins so you can leave a comment there. If your heart should so desire uh now without any further ado i'm going to throw it to the interview with jeff Uh, i had a great time talking to him i hope you guys enjoy it and i will see you on the other side i am here with boxing trainer extraordinaire owner and proprietor of mad cats boxing club here in kelowna bc he's got 20 plus years of coaching under his belt and he's going to need every single one of them because he's decided to try and coach me Please welcome (laughs) Coach Jeff Lawrence. How's it going, Coach? (laughs) Good, Dave. Thanks. Um, uh, So I wanted to kind of start out with maybe you could tell the audience a little bit about uh, kind of just your background in boxing, how you got into it in general, how it just became to be such a big part of
1: your life. Yeah, I guess it's sort of, I don't know, it was a bug I had ever since I was a kid. I remember reading a, a book to do a book report in grade five, and I chose Sugar Ray Robinson's autobiography, or uh, his biography, it was amazing biography, if you ever did a chance to read it, it's quite, quite an impressive story, but anyways, it completely fixed, uh, completely hooked me, that's for sure, um,
0: grew How'd up in rough started? neighborhoods,
1: bad kid, traveled around, never did get into boxing when I was a kid, wanted to, uh had a mom that didn't really understand the game too much and a grandpa who got a little punch drunk over the years. So that kind of kiboshed that plan and actually worked against her and turned me into a bit of a street fighter. Then I found myself gypsying around the world in my later, well, not later years, but mid thirties, and uh stumbled across a boxing match and man just bit into it and took off from there. Nice, you
0: kind of fell back in love with the sport and then you found a gym to start training in or where'd
1: you go from there well i trapped down to california and uh i was looking around for ways to kind of hanging out i guess it's whatever i was just sort of crossed over on a visa visa tourist visa and was looking for ways to stick didn't want to go home so um I'd always been into like nightclub promotions and different promotions and stuff like that. I ran across this amateur boxing match and the entertainment inside the ring was amazing. And the production of the entertainment was terrible. And I thought, click man, I can so dress this shit up. So I started looking into um, promoting amateur boxing and amateur boxing protects the clubs and stuff like that. You have to be a club to, uh, promote a show because it all goes into fundraisers to support the clubs. No outside promoters are allowed. And one of the big reasons is you're not allowed to pay, uh, amateur athletes. So it's kind of a usury thing in a lot of ways, kind of an idea to protect. Anyways, I'm a very competitive person by nature. So when they said you had to have a club to, uh, to promote a show, I started a club <laughs> and, uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, I, uh, those mad cats up. that you started, yeah, yeah. Started in, in a little city about the size of Kelowna outside of uh San Francisco in the Bay Area. Um, incredible, uh, oh, man, it just so rounded out the life experiences that I've had in my life from being a bit of a street punk Surrey kid to growing up and moving around and then. Finding these guys, this is a city I started up and had the second worst gang neighborhood per capita in the state of California. It was like East L.A. only in a miniature version. And instead instead of like Bloods and Crypt is with Nortania and Sereno and uh, a lot of Mexican gangs. Um, and man, I mean, I got a real education. I had to I had to make a rule in my club. that the the only colors you wore were club colors because kids literally wouldn't fight out of red corner or blue corner because of club colors and shit like that it was an amazing amazing thing i started up this club like i said to promote uh the sport and i i did a few funky things i phoned everlast and stuff like this and asked them for support and that sort of thing and it's funny, you go after these big fish and they can only say yes or no, the same as a little fish. And I put together the club and a, my first promotional at the same time. And I had a lot of really, really good support from Albertas. Like they sent me thousands of bucks worth of equipment from competition gloves to bags and everything. So I built this club. And uh, I found a space. I built this club and I'm driving to it the first day I was going to open it. And I'm driving there with my cousin. And uh, I said, I know what's going to happen. We'll just roll up. I said, I'll throw the doors open. Maybe we'll hit some bags and stuff, right, for a bit. Well, I pulled up and there's like 30 people standing outside waiting for me to open the door. I'd never coached a day of boxing in my life. Uh, I just about shit my dress right there. You found the right spot, obviously. Um, Yeah, no kidding. Predominantly Mexican. Uh, And, man, I just started thinking on my feet. i had been involved in sports all my life, so I I had some pretty good warm-ups and workouts. And, and like I said, since grade five, I've been, you know, and I learned a lot about that. These armchair boxing fans know a shit ton about boxing because I'd been one for years, and I got in there and I just – threw my balls to the wall and started coaching it. And uh, damn, if I didn't, you know, all of a sudden realize I knew quite a bit about boxing and how to coach the sport. So I also realized there was, there was a lot of guys there who knew more about it than me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's cool. It's interesting that you mentioned, like, you come from, like, a lot of street fighting and stuff. And I follow boxing, a lot of MMA. And it's such a, like, common thread between a lot of guys that they start out, you know, they're fighting or whatever. And what actually sets them right is like trained fighting or like, you know what I mean? Like actually focusing on it instead of just, you know, let that just be rage in your life
1: or whatever. It's a hundred percent. Like you nailed it right on. Mamas, please let your bellies be boxers, your boys and girls. Cause fighters fight it's a there's a everybody recognizes the fact that there's a fight or flight instinct but they don't recognize the fact that the guys with the fight or the guys and girls i'm not eliminating women on this when i say guys don't think it's gender thing when men and women walk around and there's a fight or flight you punch them in the face and, and, and they will either punch you right back no matter how intimidated they are or they will turn away and never you know i had a guy come into my club once upon a time and he was big and he hit holes in the heavy bag. He hit so damn hard. He was just developed so fast. And he, he looks up and he says, he wants to try sparring. I hadn't been in the ring for probably a good six or seven years. And I looked around, there was nobody there that I could throw in the ring with them. Right. So I got in there scared shitless. And, uh, and I, yeah, when I say scared, I mean it, I've been in over 25 sanction, not sanctioned, but underground and, uh, boxing matches and stuff and probably 150 200 street fights and i got in there i was scared of this dude man yeah. i let out about four or five just monster jabs in my jab rock day and i nailed him with a couple three of them in about a second or two just like pap 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 and he turned away and he his hands were up and his gloves were off and he it's had like, enough like, never want to do that again i'm thinking thank fucking christ
0: <laughs> yeah well you know what they say that you can't teach heart that's a pretty common saying too yeah.
1: it's a fight or flight this guy had everything big shiny muscles right attitude everything but he was just not a fighter and and it's very seldom you can turn a non-fighter into a fighter, and it's very seldom you can stop a fighter from fighting. So what what you nailed earlier is a healthy place to do it, whether it's MMA or martial arts or boxing. Man, our floors are padded. If you get knocked out, they're not concrete abutments. They're not pavement. They're not parking lot. You know, spikes. There, and and you won't stop your damn kid from fighting. You won't do it. It it, it didn't happen for me, man. Uh, and it just drove me into an unhealthy, uh, um, unsecure place to do it. And then I, you know what? I found it anyways. I ended up finding it late in life anyways. Lucky for me, most don't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's always, it's always a positive
0: story whenever you hear about someone finding boxing or finding, you know, whatever martial art. So I'm yeah. curious what, uh, cause I know I approached you, uh, about the adaptive boxing thing. At, I don't know if it was like six months ago now or whatever, and we've been working on it. So I'm curious what at first kind of, uh, piqued your interest in that like why would you decide to say yes and take it on and try to go down that uh
1: avenue the challenge the challenge i freaking love competition i love i i you know if there is a competition at chewing leaves i'd join it you know i i i just love it and it's an angle that i haven't done yet and um you know, I've, I've certified as sport conditioning coach and a, and a fitness trainer and stuff like that to start to understand how um, to train an athlete's body, you know, uh, to train somebody for an athletic event and stuff like that. And when I did, I just fell in love with the mechanics of how the human body works. I love the sport of boxing. Don't get me wrong. It is amazing, but so is the body. So when I run across a challenge, where I can go and join those two things together. The, the challenge of like, like we've been working with a lot of core work. So, you know, the first thing I go is I study this sport and, like, okay, wh- what are the physical demands? Right. And then you go in and you ca- kind of train the body. Right. And then while you're training the body, you teach the mind certain skill set. And then when the two come together, hopefully at the same time, the body's conditioned, the skill sets developed, and you're ready for competition. And then it's just, beautiful man there's nothing like competition it's the best in the world so why adapt a boxing challenge because it made me want to really think about how to do this how am i going to take the sport i love and adapt it to a situation where i can't use all the tools i normally have available to me right so yeah it was a groovy challenge mm-hmm. i'm loving it
0: yeah that's cool um uh, i definitely i'd like to dig in a little bit too into the into the mechanics. Cause obviously if you're standing up, you throw a punch, that punch comes like from your friggin' toes all the way up your leg. And when I'm sitting and throwing a punch, uh, I'm trying to maybe get it from my hips or do whatever. So maybe talk about some of the differences in the mechanics that you've seen and how to throw a good punch seated versus standing.
1: Yeah, there is. And, and there is the biggest difference. Like you said, and know a lot of people don't understand about the mechanics of a punch, but yeah, it comes off the floor, man. It comes like, like Dave said, it comes right off your toes. Uh, Your major muscle groups that generate the power in a punch are your glutes, quads, and hamstrings, okay? Those are the biggest muscle groups in the body. And in boxing, we will shift our weight back onto that foot, onto the leg of the hand we're throwing. So if I'm going to throw a right hand, I'm going to shift my weight onto that right leg, and I'm going to turn into that punch. When I say turn into that punch, And this is where the core work comes in. And this is one of the similarities between adaptive and a a standing boxer is the rotation of that core lock and and the engagement of it locks your hip to your shoulder uh, in a standing boxer. And it'll bring that hip around into your shot and transfer all the power from down off the floor with the glutes and quads and such up through the core and transfer it into your shoulders so where's the challenge in the adaptive boxer is you don't have that power base coming up from the floor Um, you start at the core so that is where i've been focusing on a lot of dave's training is strengthening the core and then whereas a fighter uh standing fighter will move forward and back to avoid certain shots i have to get some forward and back motion in there there is some movement in the chairs that uh like you can and it's a it's a move a standing boxer would make but you drop your hands and you wheel off for a second spin around and come in at another angle every now and then and bam your hands are back up right so there's some movement that way but it's not going to generate force in a punch so, when you start talking about generating force in the punch with the adaptive boxer, it's all coming out of the rotation, which puts so much extra emphasis on the core. And then the forward and back motion you would get from stepping in and out is a combination of your core and back. And it's just going to have to be a lean in and a lean out. And when you come in and you move out away from punches, the more travel you're going to have. And I noticed a lot, and I watched this last night. A lot of the chairs don't have backs on them, eh? Yeah, have you really noticed or them? really, really low ones so they can try to lean yeah. over them. So they <laughs> can pull back away from that punch without being restricted, right? So, I mean, bam, What the obvious biggest difference is legs, right, on um, 100%. So then the challenge is how do you generate what the legs used to do and turn that into a, a situation where you got your tools back and like i said it's core back core strength back strength are going to be super key to this to this sport as far as i can see at Absolutely. this point
0: yeah and there's definitely a few punches like specifically i can think of with an uppercut that you kind of have to adjust like an uppercut's usually some you're punching super in close, yeah. but because two guys in chairs you got to kind of punch out at least almost like to your knees in a seated position
1: yeah, because in an uppercut of uh, if I'm on my feet, I'm gonna drop my hips a bit by bending my knees and drop down to get that uppercut, right? Um, well, you can't drop down; it's hard to come up, isn't it? So we, I've been playing with you with some punches that, you know, just. And hooks is another thing, right? You can't really, you don't have one set where you're way more forward than the other. So we've adapted them to kind of an upper, like we we have a punch we use as an upper jab. Um, I've heard it referred to as the uh, Russian up jab. So I'm kind of adapting what would normally be used as an uppercut into more of an upper jab, just sort of an upper right hand, kind of a straight shot with a little bit of roll on it and a little bit of angle coming up rather than coming over and down right
0: and with uh, with all that offense and all those punches flying around uh comes into play a little bit of defense so ah! obviously uh ah! when you're when you're standing and you guys are they're dancing around float like a butterfly sting like a bee all that stuff uh, all the great head movement that's a huge huge difference uh for me or anyone in a chair It's not really having that head head movement, obviously not the footwork, but talk a little bit about just kind of the defense difference.
1: Yeah, and bang on again. um, There is some movement in the chairs. They're they're throwing their wheels around pretty good, some of the guys. Um, But it seems to be more of when they need a bit of a break or to try and create a new angle or a better angle. When they're in what I've referred to as the bubble or the war zone, where most of the action—being on your feet or in a chair—happens in that zone, the the guy on his feet's got a chance to jump back, step back, and get out of the way of a punch, or pivot off and get out of the way of a punch. Um, when you're in the in the war zone, in that deep battle where punches are flying you're not going to drop your hands to move your chair so you're going to have uh, an adaptive boxer is going to have to definitely um in the in the hole in the pit it's hardcore blocks um with a peekaboo style um and then i mean the, you can peek-a-boo get style that, just for people peek-a-boo. who aren't into boxing the peekaboo is like
0: your gloves are right up by your temples like yeah. really really apply. real
1: tight real tight guard so you're gonna take more punches on your gloves than a guy on his feet would um, however um, leaning back is one of your defenses not so much And it is leaning back, not a guy on his feet. A guy on his feet is going to pull back from the hips, whereas an adaptive boxer is actually going to have to lean back away from those punches. So that's one place when you're in the hole where you've got some um, control over defense. You can lean back, you can drop in and you can drop in either side. So there's some movement that way. And again, it's all torso, super, super focused on torso strength to lean back his torso strength, the lean in, we're going to have to develop that back strength we've been working on and stuff like that. Um, So out a little bit, when you're not right in deep, there is a lot of um, call for head movement. And I probably more so in an adaptive boxer, I would think even than in a guy on his feet, because it's one of the few tools you have head movement is it basically what a head, head movement does is it messes up the, the body works on a, like a, almost like a, a, like a tracking system for a missile launcher. Okay. The eyes find the coordinates, send it to the brain, brain sends coordinates to the muscle muscle recruits, you know, or the nervous system recruits the muscles to throw on target um, head movement quit, keeps messing up the tracking system. It's like, do 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 do, 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 do. You just can't zone in on it long enough to send the coordinates to the muscle uh, to throw the punch. So if you keep moving the target, the body will keep hesitating on where to throw the punch. So head movement is going to create some hesitation. Hesitation is a defense. Hesitation, guy hesitates, you don't, bam, you're in the lead again. So I've heard uh, GSB
0: talking about that exactly and talking about head movement and more kind of referencing uh, feints and how he was saying the human body can really only like the brain can only absorb so much info. So when you're throwing a lot of movement and a lot of feints, you can almost like overload, like your opponent's brain in a sense, and really kind of really slow them down and like really
1: noticeably mess them up just like before you even touch them. Yeah, totally. And, and both all combat sports are split second sports, especially boxing and uh, MMA, when you're on your feet and stuff like that, very, very much split second sports, not so much jujitsu and stuff. It's more of a rolling sport and subtle and you can time and crawl up a guy's body and, you know, work into your positions, your submissions positions and stuff like that. Whereas strikes and stuff, it's not uncommon to throw two or three strikes in in a one second period. Like it, it goes that fast. So if you can gain a half a second advantage, in a split second sport, that's a hell of an advantage. That's a huge advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of that advantage, I'm um, curious what you think of it. We've talked about it a little bit, but do you think it's actually possible to knock someone out from a seated position? Like with what, you know what I mean? Without being able to get your hips and everything right into it. Like, can you punch hard enough to knock someone out out of a wheelchair?
1: I got to go with, yes. Uh, our last training session, you were generating some good power um already at this point after six months you're able to put out good power i'm not saying great yet but we got room to Mm -hmm. we got time to develop still right Yeah, yeah um now the other thing about a knockout punch is it's largely uh targeting it's where you place that punch um i was ignorant enough as a fighter cocky enough i guess that i let everybody know that i fought if they knocked me down not out they didn't have to knock me out just down if they took me off my pins i'd buy a mistake dinner right i honestly didn't think anybody could i thought it was a surefire no fail intimidation tactic right right until i ran into a big portuguese kid named alfred Pereira, (laughs) and he uh he told me it's all about the buttons, and he showed me where they were. He dropped me twice in a week. We fought twice in a week—once on Friday, and the next week on Saturday. And uh, yeah, that, both times
0: but, I dropped. That kind of leads into my next question, but I'll put a pin in it for a second because you're talking about the buttons. What are you know? You hear like on the chin, uh, whatever. Like what? What, yeah. are, what are the buttons to knock
1: somebody out? You draw a line from your temple down your jaw to your chin, and it's neuromuscular um now neck strength jaw strength everything like that definitely plays in a bone density and stuff plays into it but if those buttons are hit bang on your legs just go from underneath you the 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 whole thing just there's a little little like a reset in your brain or something a little reset and everything goes on pause until it hits again temple if you ever seen one of those boxing match where the guy goes down he jumps back up and he falls down again and again kind of thing um that's a temple shot and it just messes you don't think you're hurt you don't even think you're hurt i bounced back up the first time i got hit boom i was on my feet i didn't even know i'd gone down i knew i went because the referee was counting eh? and i looked at it, fuck i went down and i'm thinking to myself shit That, and i went to step and more. Oh, my legs were just like rubber and i okay don't move right don't move and i wouldn't i didn't move the whole time i faked it and he said fight by then they were starting to be able to move a little bit i managed to stay but up for the do rest you think of the
0: fight. you were like actually right out for
1: a second and then came back too or you just like buzz you no I, I don't think i actually went out out um but boy i, I had about a one or two second Half of, you know, again, I split seconds more. I went down and up in probably about a second and a half. And somewhere in that second and a half, I lost track of the fact that I got hit. So it wasn't a big glitch, but it was a glitch. And the second time I knew, bam, I hit the ground so freaking hard. And that was a jaw shot. And my legs just came out from underneath me. I was on the ground. a shit. And I rolled around for a second. I got up. And... If you've ever been about chest deep in a lake and try and run, that's how my legs felt <laughs> right Crazy. there, man. Man, me and Alfred went toe-to-toe the rest of that fight because I couldn't get away from them. <laughs> well, that was kind
0: of my next question was about if you if you have been knocked out or is like was that the closest that you've come to being knocked
1: out? Was that? Yeah, definitely, 100%. I mean, I've had punches where... I don't know. It's like uh, you forget what's going on for a second or two. And then all of a sudden, you all OK, yeah, you you know, like I had one kid. It happened to him in a fight. He was like uh, he, he thought he was in the club working on the heavy bag. And uh, and then all of a sudden, he you know, starts and I'm looking at them and he's like not fighting right. And then all of a sudden he's fighting back normally going to say, you good. goes yeah i am now right and i didn't we don't have a lot of time in the corner so we got down to it later on another guy thought he was at a birthday party uh uh dancing with the birthday clowns you know and shit like that That's crazy to be able to then start
0: fighting after like yeah can't just shake that out of your mind immediately and then you have to go back it
1: just cuts back in i've never had anything like that but i've i've been hit real hard and i knew i got hit and then somehow the next thing I knew I had the guy on the ropes, just punishing him. And I don't remember how we went from me being half, you know, half knocked down. I didn't go down or legs held and everything, but then all of a sudden we're over here and I'm thinking, I actually thought this is weird as I was hitting them. of came to it while you were punching him. That's crazy. Yeah. I came back. Right. I called it waking up. I used to have those moments quite a bit when I get hit super hard I'd just have a little nap for a bit, but the body would keep performing. Then I'd wake up, I'd be back, (laughs) i Autopilot. (laughs) Yeah, it goes on autopilot for a second. Yeah, it's fun though.
0: So what's the, well, I mean, I know it's probably not one best punch necessarily when you're standing to knock someone out, but okay, from the chair then, what would be, what's the best punch to try to hit that button? If like, for a wheelchair boxer, like what's going to be the setup punch?
1: What's going to be the power punch? I think it's going to be that freaking left hand up job. Um, because that hand is a little bit more forward with the rotation you get on that the angle. If we can come up and split the guard and grab the chin on a shot like that, I think the combination of easy targeting, excuse me, the combination of easy targeting and, um, The forward punch seeing a guy standing it's going to be the right hand predominantly or your power hand if you're a left handed fighter. um, Because of the huge amount of rotation and actually the momentum that builds from bringing that punch from the back, all the way through forward, whereas. On with the le, uh, the restricted rotation with an adaptive boxer that punch isn't going to come from back it's going to come from forward it's going to be less momentum and actually more reach involved to get to the target whereas this one requires less distance to travel and the focused rotation is in the core for both punches so I can't see why that one won't be just as hard as the right hand and I like the angle it comes from I think those little up punches we've been working on are going to be a real ticket nice
0: okay well that brings me to uh one of my last questions it was kind of like a more self-defense focus so let's say you know I'm rolling down the alley and someone's let's take like a, someone attack me from behind out of the equation because obviously there's not really too much you can do about that but let's say someone's Coming at you or standing in front of me, being in a chair. What's what's my go-to punch? Like, am I aiming for the solar plexus? Like, take take punching them in the balls out of it. Because obviously, if it was a serious situation, that's probably exactly what i do. But like, body shot wise, you know, kidneys or solar
1: plexus. Like, what what are you going after? You know what I mean? Well, there's there's kind of a uh, two-pronged answer on that. Um, number one answer is. I have never heard a more vile sound than a man that gets hit square in the liver with a perfect punch. It is a pain that you do not want to ever experience. You think it'll never go away. Um, Your whole body convulses in pain. It's totally disabling. Guys Um, drop.
0: You see them? They just like they delay a second. They
1: drop. Bam. Any but the most. Season strongest of warriors Will not get up from that shot Um, Delahoya One of the most famous boxers You know bam. Bernard Hopkins picked that liver And he didn't get up You know like guys don't get up from that liver shot Where exactly Um, are you punching To hit the liver Like what's the target I take my left hand and dig up So up under your right rib cage Under the right rib cage Yeah spleens on the other side and that hits pretty that's pretty impressive shot too now in saying that land that shot on a guy with legs from a chair so boxing straight up from a self-defense point and i i had a a a lady who called me at one point about self-defense training um uh she had a very real situation she was in and I phoned around to a couple of guys that I knew on the martial arts and stuff like this. And a couple of these guys did a ninjutsu that was very much sort of like combat, kill you in three moves, not a sport, but an actual like uh, attack and military you. shit. Yeah. Military shit. Right. And I called him eventually. And I said, this lady's in a bit of a situation. He says, Tell her to take a course, buy a can of bear spray and take a course in how to use it. Martial arts are not, a 120 pound woman, I'm a 200 pound man, if I want her, I got her. I don't care what martial arts she knows. She can twist me, bend me, twist me around, eventually my weight and size and strength is gonna overpower her. Guy in a chair doesn't have a you know, you know, know the mobility to fight off an attacker. Maybe once you get in close, you'd have a good chance. But in all reality, your best self defense is not just bear spray, because most people spray the shit out of themselves, getting it out of their purse and shit like that, but a bear spray and a how to use it kind of thing. Boxing's a sport. It's a freaking amazing sport and it's been around since the Olympics began. And it's Olympic sport and it's probably the it's a sport all other sports aspire to become, but it ain't a great self defense.
0: No, yeah. Well, I guess that's a good point. But if you were in a chair and you had to throw one punch at a dude standing in front of you, what do you go? I'd
1: grab him by by the hair, yank him in off to the side and work for that spleen, see if you could find that liver. (laughs) That sounds nasty.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I wouldn't want to run into you in a chair.
1: If that didn't work, I'd just keep bashing his head into my fucking handle on my chair. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, well, that'll work too.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Um, uh, That was fun, Dave. Yeah, I've I've loved getting into adaptive boxing. Anyone else out there that's thinking about it, um, call whatever your local gym is, uh, your local boxing gym. Anyone that's in Kelowna, um, uh, should look up Mad Cats. Uh, they can get a hold of Jeff. I'll throw his email and contact stuff uh, in the link below. Because um, uh, it's been phenomenal from like a sport perspective. Like I just like learning new sports and learning how really how to punch and like you know why you throw whatever punch and how you react and also just like working on core, all the, like the exercise program that you put together for me is like I just see benefits in just day-to-day life like big time from it. So yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, anyone out there thinking about it just go do it. So thanks again Jeff and uh, One miss, sec, David, anybody yeah.
1: else thinking about it and I did I forgot to mention this to you but I just clued in last night. Uh, go on to the Boxing BC website. Um, there's a, a great guy in there, uh, Leo Samarelli, who's uh, who's uh, uh, in charge of inclusive boxing and such like that. So, Boxing BC recognizes inclusive and adaptive boxers and such like that. So, there is an actual uh, uh, fella sitting on the board of directors. So, if you have any questions, uh, he's the guy to get a hold of. Reach out to him,
0: cool. And you have a show coming up in like October,
1: in September or October in in Colonna, October 9th. On October 9th, uh, yeah, uh, Bonnie Henry willing, uh, COVID willing, we get through this uh, into phase four and uh, Madcats has always supported the community where we live and one of the things we do is we do a show to raise funds for the community, uh, using people from the community so uh, real quick uh, explanation in a crash course wax on wax off kind of a way I take 20 people from the community train them into how to box we put on a show they raise funds we support at-risk youth uh men and women in recovery second half of the show is uh, some of the best boxers in the province our main event will be uh the 2019 golden gloves champion donovan cool cridland taking on uh the 2020 i think we got the provincials off before the lockdown uh, the provincial champion anyways from Vancouver Island, hell of a nice guy, Anthony Varela. So that's uh, cool. two of your top boxers in the province right there on the main event.
0: Cool. And if people want tickets, how, like, where do they go? Is there a website or like, how do they, uh, how do they sort of?
1: Yeah. Uh, tickets at this point are uh, real close to sold out. And I've got a bit of a freeze on ticket information, but um, if you go on to Facebook, there's Los Gatos Locos uh Facebook page, all announcements going forward will be put on that. Um, there is probably going to be about 200 more tickets released um, as soon as we get the official announcement from the province. Nice. And maybe a live stream too, if memory serves yeah. you,
0: right. You're talking about doing that. Okay. So I'll throw yeah. all those links uh, yeah. down in the description and stuff so people can uh, get a hold of the tickets that way or check out the live streams, throw some support to BC Boxing. So thanks again to Jeff. Uh, this was super fun. I'll see you in the gym and I'm going to send it back to myself in the studio. Thanks again to Jeff for a great interview. I'm definitely going to start working on that liver punch because, you know, just in case. And uh, I'd like to also thank you for listening if you're still struggling through this. And if you have a friend that may want to listen to it as well, share the link, spread the love. Uh, So that's it for episode six. Thank you again for listening and I will see you next time.